The scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. This is the New Revised Standard Version. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and he went. Now there was an Ethiopian Enoch, a court official of the Candace Queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The Enoch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at peace. Last week, we began our series, Living in His Presence. And as we talked about that, uh, we took a look at the story of Moses. We observed that Moses asked God for more of his presence, and that more of God's presence would be revealed in Moses' life in the present. In fact, God, or Moses told God that he didn't want to lead the Israelites any further, not take another step if God's presence didn't go with him. Then we took time to ask for God's presence to be revealed in our lives and in this church. Uh, last week, I gave you the 2815 challenge to spend 15 minutes each day reading through one chapter of the book of Acts for the next 28 days. That leads us up to the actual day of Pentecost on, on May 23rd. And uh, as we uh, looked at this, if you took me up on that challenge, as some of you already mentioned some of the things you've learned from that reading this week, if you took a look at that challenge, you would have already been introduced to Moses and our topic for today, King David. We're kind of doing a parallel to, uh, to the lectionary readings so as we go through the book of Acts in our scriptures leading up to the day of Pentecost. We're going into a parallel message series, though, and we're going back into the Old Testament for most of this time and looking at who these leaders were. Uh, you, you'll see as you read this week and as Peter goes out in the beginning of the book of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he goes out and he begins to teach and speak, he's referring to these great leaders of the faith and their role in what God was currently doing. You see, the Israelites understood, as we understand today, your present cannot be separated from your past. Your past always impacts your present. Now, sometimes that's a good impact. Hopefully, most of the time it is. Sometimes it's a negative impact. 
But for the nation of Israel, it was rooted in the faith of these founders, these founders of their faith, Moses, David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And everything that came from the Old Testament influenced their lives today. And as we look at the book of Acts, we see these references to, and I asked you to look at specifically for the phrases about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of, of the people in the, in the early church. And you'll see references where they were empowered and, and boldened by the Holy Spirit. They go out in Acts chapter 2 and then later in, in one of the readings for this week, we have references to King David who prophesied. We don't think of David as a, as a prophet, do we? But yet he did. He was. He prophesied many times about the coming of someone in his lineage who would be the Messiah who would eventually sit at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. We're going to talk about King David today. We're going to take a little bit deeper dive into his faith journey. But as we've looked at Moses and we've understood that Moses understood something about God, that there's something about his presence that is vital to our lives. And if we don't understand that, we're just going through the motions as Christians today. If we don't truly understand and live in God's presence daily, we're missing the whole point of our faith. And, and so we talked last week about this idea of living in his presence, but today I want to take us to the story of David and talk about this idea of giving myself completely. What does it really mean to give of ourselves completely? If you've noticed the, the lyrics to the songs that we've already sung, that's what we've been singing about. I'm surrendering, I'm giving my life to you, God. I'm worshiping you, I'm living my whole life for you in its entirety. So we're going to look at this idea of giving myself completely to God. I think there might be another term that we're more familiar with. It's that term of surrender, uh, of surrendering myself to God. That, that might be a little bit more comfortable for us in, in the Christian realm and in our, our understanding of our faith journey. But I want to take, back, take you back to that idea of surrender. Where do we get that from? Well, we get that from Scripture, but also from our culture in many ways. There is this idea of surrender entwined in who we are as a race, as human beings. If you think about it, you've, uh, the white flag has long been a sign of surrender, has it not? If you think about any story or watched any uh, documentaries or any movies on TV, and particularly around World War II, World War I, there were many times there would be a white flag that would come up, and that would indicate a surrender of the troops to lay down their arms and give themselves over to the enemy. They surrendered, they're done fighting, they're giving themselves completely into the control of the enemy. Sometimes it was an indication of it's time for us to take a break in the fighting and go out on the battlefield and get our injured soldiers off the battlefield so we can care for them. We don't understand that too much in today's society because now we fight with drones and airplanes and it's distance. There's not as much hand-to-hand -hand as there was earlier in the earlier wars, but some of you may understand that a little bit more than you'd like to. That idea of the white flag and a time to help our injured off the battlefield. But it's this idea that, that's really kind of an ancient idea. If you uh, go to the History Channel at all and history.com, it actually talks about the idea of the white flag and the meaning that it had in early China for the first three centuries AD. That um, it, it was in the early Eastern Han Dynasty in the first three centuries of AD, the color white has been associated with death and mourning in China. And as early as those first few centuries, perhaps they adopted the white surrender flag to show their sorrow in defeat. Well, in recent history, the white flag became an internationally recognized symbol. 
not only for surrender, as I said, but also to initiate ceasefires and, and to initiate conversations between opposing forces. And the various meanings of the flag were later actually codified in, in the Hague and Geneva Conventions of the 19th and 20th centuries. Those same treaties also forbid armies from using the white flag to fake surrender and ambush enemy troops. There's actually a code to war, isn't there? That's why the recent wars and the recent problems we've been having have been so difficult because they don't follow the terms of battle and the terms of warfare. So what does this surrender mean to us today? I would say the white flag as it relates to God is a symbol of I'm all in. I am completely surrendering. I'm completely giving my life to you, God. Whatever you want to do with my life from this point forward, it is totally yours. I am all in. So why? Why do we need to give ourselves to God completely? Why is it important that you and I give ourselves to God completely? Not, you know, he could just be a part of our lives, couldn't he be? I think there's far too many Christians that live that way today. That, that God is a part of their life, but he is not their life. Do you understand the difference? You see, I wonder if we have changed the word surrender and in our minds have said, surrender means I give whatever I feel like giving to God. I'll give him the easy parts, the, the things that aren't so difficult, the things that I don't have to struggle with, those things that I want to do that I know are against his will, I'm going to hang on to those and keep doing those because... Quite frankly, I like doing them, and I don't want to give them up to God. But is not in the word surrender the idea of completeness? I'm giving myself over to God completely. I want to suggest to you that God expects nothing less than complete surrender in our lives. Well, why do I need to give myself to God completely? The answer can be found actually in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're not going to read it today. It's the story of King David. It's the story of his history. It's the story of his path to failure. And we kind of alluded to this a few weeks ago when we talked about Psalm 51 in, in general, which we're going to dig into detail this morning. But David's path to failure was very simple. David neglected his responsibilities. You heard me talk about that, that the king's responsibility was to be out on the battlefield, to lead his troops into battle, to be out where the army was fighting. And on this day, the armies were fighting without their king. He was back in his palace, not where he should be. He was neglecting his responsibilities of leading the troops in war. And in so doing, we find that David let down his guard and yielded to temptation. We've, we've talked about that, that, that David should have looked the other way when he looked down on his kingdom and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof. He should have looked the other way. He should have not been concerned with that. He, he let down his guard and yielded to temptation. And we know the story that what happened was he took Bathsheba into his bed and she became pregnant, and that led a whole list of downfall, bad choices, after one right after the other. But it's interesting that David made a choice. Do you understand that we always have a choice? One of the phrases that I use when I do church consulting or working with businesses in the community in, in a consulting role is I always say the choices you make today determine your success tomorrow. So choose wisely. Think about that for a moment. The choices that you make this day will determine the success that you have in life tomorrow. If those are business choices, you make the right business choice today, tomorrow you'll have business success. Make the wrong business choice today, tomorrow you'll have business failure, perhaps. 
There were some that during this past year, during the year of COVID, there were a lot of businesses that went under. Some chose to reinvent themselves and do things differently, and those are the ones that have survived, and others that couldn't quite figure out how to make that change kept doing what they kept doing, but it was a choice, and many did not survive. On the spiritual side, the choices that we make today determine our future tomorrow. Think about that for a moment. What are the spiritual disciplines? What are the spiritual habits that you've incorporated into your life? Do you take time reading the scripture? Only about 40% of Christians, people that call themselves Christians and sit in our churches every week, only about 40% of them actually read the Bible throughout the week. And we wonder why we've made our own version of this thing called Christianity and what feels good and we follow it because we don't know what God really is saying to us. I've said this many times from the pulpit, so I'm going to say it here today. If all you are getting from your relationship with God is what myself or whoever stands up here on Sunday and shares with you, you're not going to make it very well through life as a Christian. It's not the pastor's role to feed you and help you with that and give you everything. If you think about that shepherd role, that sheep role, the, the shepherd ta- leads the sheep out to the, to the pasture, right? He says, here's the food, here's the water, eat and drink. Have you ever seen a shepherd, a, a picture of a shepherd taking a, a clump of grass and forcing it in the sheep's mouth? Have you ever seen the shepherd almost waterboarding the sheep to get it to drink? No, it doesn't happen. The shepherd is to take the people and provide the, the, the people today what they need, the tools, the resources they need, so they can feed themselves and learn from God's word. And if all you're doing is depending upon what happens from this pulpit on Sunday mornings, if you're here every week, and most people are not, if you're here every week, you may get 26 hours a year at best of understanding of scripture. And that's not enough. You see, we have to make a choice to read God's word on our own. We have to make a choice to spend time with him in prayer. That's why I offered you the 2815 challenge, to make a choice every day for four weeks to get into God's word for just 15 minutes and study it and see what happens. God, David made a choice, and David's choice was made to follow his desires and not God's will for his life. And so David sinned repeatedly against God. We know the story. We know it it was adultery. There was lying. There was manipulation. And eventually there was murder. This this king who was God's chosen person to, to lead his people, this man of God, this person I referred to earlier that the New Testament refers to, and Peter in his message refers to many times as a prophet of God, prophesying about the coming Messiah, that man, sinned repeatedly against God. You see, I think too many times we hold the people in Scripture up on a pedestal and forget that they were people who struggled with sin in their lives just like us. That that they were people who, who were working out this relationship with God. And David, in our story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he's in a horrible place. He's making the wrong choices. He's making the wrong decisions. And those choices have consequences. And those choices tomorrow and the next day and the next day led into this repetitive sinning in his life, this disobedience to God, this murder, this lying, this manipulation, this adultery, all of that happened. But there was a day and a moment and a time when David recognized his wrong behavior. It took a guy by the name of Nathan a prophet of God, to come and talk to King David. 
And he pulls him aside and he, he tells this story. And, and you can read it in, in 2 Samuel. He tells this story about this person who had everything and he went and took the one thing from the, only the one thing that this poor person had and he took it unto himself and, and, and took it for his own and, and obliterated that family and took it, but he had everything he needed. And Nathan comes in and, and tells this story and David is enraged. He is furious that somebody who had everything they needed would take advantage of someone else and take the one thing that they had from them. And Nathan, I can just kind of see it. I can see the pause. And Nathan goes, David, God sent me here to tell you, you're that man. In that moment, that moment of realization, I think David was crushed. I think he began to understand. The God that he was trying to serve, the God that had made him king over this great nation, over God's chosen people, had failed miserably. And his behavior had to change. So what did David do? Scripture tells us he immediately repented. You understand the definition of repent, right? It's this 180-degree change of direction, It's as if I'm walking this direction with my life in sin and disobedience to God. God's back here saying, hey, turn around and follow me, but I'm living my life the way I want to live it. I'm making the choices that I want to make. I'm living the results and consequences of those. And King David got right here, and Nathan said, the way you're living your life is wrong. It's sinning against God. And David repents, and he turns away from his life of sin, and he returns to his faith in following God. David made another choice that day, a choice to get back to where he knew he should have been all along. So why do I need to give myself completely to God? Well, I think just like David had a path to failure, we have a path to failure that we follow. We we neglect the spiritual disciplines of prayer, reading the word, and corporate worship. Now, you say, well, don't be too hard on us. We've had COVID this year. Corporate worship has been hard. I totally get that. But I've noticed something recently as more and more of you have started coming out to the worship services. Have you missed being together with brothers and sisters in Christ corporately for worship? We were created to worship God, not as individuals. We do that in, in part, part of our, our time. We, yes, we do that daily. But we were created to come together as the family of God, the church and, and worship God together and to, to enjoy each other's lives. That's how we were created. And if there's one thing that I think has been missing this past year of 2020 has been that sense of community. You know, I, I love all the technology. If you, if you know me, you know my family, they're like, you don't always have to have the latest, best technology. I'm told that all the time by my family members. Something new comes out. I'm, I'm an early adopter. I want to have it. I want to learn it. I want to play with it. I've learned over the years that that type of a lifestyle costs more money than, than I have, more of my discretionary money than I have to give. So I have toned it back, and I wait till the next best thing comes out to replace the best thing. Then I buy what was just the best thing. It's a great way to save a lot of money in life, and you're, you're this close. You can still consider yourself an early adopter. All right? <laughs> 
And, uh, and so it's a great place to live, but I, I always want to learn those, those new things, and, and, and I always want to get out there ahead of things, and I have no idea right now why I started telling you this, but that's okay, too. You see, I think, I think there are some things that God wired us for in our lives. Some things like that, they're kind of different. You know, we're not all the same. We're not all wired the same. But there are some things that we are wired for, and that is fellowship with each other and fellowship with God. What did Jesus say? I can sum the whole entire scripture into two things. Love God, love your neighbor. We've missed that. And as much, here's, I got back to where I'm at. As much as I love technology, as much as I was using Zoom before Zoom became popular this past year, I missed being with my family, my church family. And I'm looking at your faces and you're nodding and saying, yeah, you have too. It's just not the same, is it? But my fear is this, that it can become a new habit for some. That staying home and watching TV on the, on the live stream can become the new church for many people. And I don't think that's quite how God intended it to be. I think it's a great backup plan, but I think God wants us to corporately come together. I think he wants us daily in his word, daily in relationship with him. And the choices that you and I make today, the choice you're going to make at the end of this message, it's going to determine your relationship with God later today and tomorrow and into the future. And I'm going to ask you to commit yourself completely to God in a new and a fresh way today. I'll just tell you right up front, that's where we're heading, folks. No secrets. That's where we're at. But have you found yourself neglecting the important things of God? That, that's what David was doing, and I think that's what we do today. I think also we let down our guards and yield to temptation. You know, just, I had a friend, his name was Lee. He said, I, I know the one thing in my life that Satan can get me on. And just when I think I've got it mastered, and I think I've got this worked out, he can no longer get me, and I let down my guard just a little bit, that's right where he comes. And I think sometimes in our lives, we just let down our guard just a little too much, and Satan comes in and tempts us, and we find ourselves into that sin, that area of sin in our life that we know we shouldn't get to. Or we let down our guard just by going through life and the stress and the changes and not being able to spend as much time with him, and all of a sudden Satan comes in and we find ourselves further away from God than we want to be in our relationship. Until sometimes we get to the point where we make a choice against God's ways. We choose to do it our way versus God's way. Have you ever noticed there's always that choice? The struggles that you and I have in following our, in a relationship with God is always about my way versus his way. There's no other options. It's about what I want to do with my life versus what he wants me to do with my life. It's about the choice that I want to make in this particular decision versus the choice that he wants to make, he wants me to make in this particular decision. You know, those of you who, who uh, are working and fortunate enough to keep a job this past year or maybe business owners, do you pray about the decisions and the next steps that you take in your life? Do you pray today about what's going to happen in your workplace this week? Do you pray and ask God to give you the right words to say at the right time with the right person 
this week? Or do we just go through week of work? I think there's a huge difference there. You know, I've noticed in my life the times where I make a decision versus the time where I pray until I have a decision from God, his decisions usually work out a whole lot better. But we sometimes in our lives make a choice to go against God's way. And we find ourselves heading down a path that's not the way God intended until finally we sin against God. You see, our path isn't much different from David, is it? It's so easy to look at David and say, oh, he did, the, he did the adultery thing. He did the lying, the manipulation. He did the murder. I'm not that bad. I haven't done all of those. It's easy to compare ourselves to, to David and, and say, oh, okay, but look at the progression. It's the same. David wasn't where he should have been. He was ignoring his responsibilities. He wasn't doing what he should have been doing until finally he went through this series of temptation, choice, decision to sin. And that's the same progression that you and I follow. So why do I need to give myself completely to God? So we don't follow in our own footsteps. So we don't follow in David's footsteps. So we allow God to really influence every area of our lives. So why do I need to give myself to God completely? There's this problem of sin. We need to to eradicate it in our lives through God's help and his mercy and his grace. But why should I give myself to God? After being confronted by the prophet Nathan, and I wrote these words in this morning, I was going back over this, and I went back and I actually made them bold and underlined because I want you to hear it twice. After being confronted by the prophet Nathan, here it is. David wanted to experience God's presence in his life in the way that he once knew him. Okay, let me, let me say that again, but let me preface it this way. I know this morning I'm talking to the church. Right? I know this morning that if you were here today, you are here because you want to be here today. I don't know too many people who are visiting in public in our churches for the first time right now because of everything that's been going on this year. So if you're here today, there's a reason that you are here. And I'm assuming it's because you want or you're experiencing or want to experience or seeking to experience a deeper relationship with God. So let me say that again. David wanted to experience God's presence in his life in the way that he once knew him. I just wonder, is there anyone here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. This is a rhetorical question. Don't answer. Don't talk back to me. Don't raise your hand. But I wonder if there's some of us or a lot of us here today that would say, I want to experience God like I used to know him. I want to go back to a place in time in my relationship with God, not to a point in time, but I want to have the kind of relationship with God that I had at this stage in my life. You know, we jokingly talked about the good old days, you know, how they, how they were probably not as good as we remember them, they were just old. But there are some points in my life where I can say, on this date, in this place, I connected with God. I was in his presence in a way that is undescribable. What if we could live there every day? Now, I'm not talking about mountaintop experiences every day because then the valleys wouldn't happen and, and we wouldn't appreciate the mountaintops if everything was flat and we didn't have any struggles in our lives. But I'm talking about the presence of God in our life daily, that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're struggling with, he is there undeniably. 
See, I think David, after going through this process with God and with Nathan, he came to the place of his being so broken that he actually wrote what we now know as Psalm 51. It's in response to this period in his life. He writes these words, and out of his pain of grieving God, David writes this psalm. And in, the, in this, we get a glimpse of the characteristics of the God that David served. So put yourself in David's place for a moment. You know that you once had a very close, intimate relationship with God, and you screwed it up big time. You just messed it up. And God has brought you back around through his grace. He sent a Nathan to you who said, David, you're wrong. You've sinned against God. You need to change your life. And David says, you're right. I'm doing that. Broken, that place of brokenness, that place of understanding that he has failed the God that he loves. He writes these words. Have mercy on, mercy on, mercy on me, on me, me, oh God. According to your own faith, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is Old Testament Psalms, David, talking about the Holy Spirit's presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, he could have stopped there and this would have been a great presence. Wouldn't it? This would have been a great place to, to live. And he, he's talking about this relationship with God, how it's broken and, and, and God, only you can do this. I need you to do this in my life. I need you to restore me and, and give me a willing a spirit to sustain me so that I don't make these mistakes again. And he could have stopped there and it would have been a beautiful passage. But he goes on and look at this. Then, after you've done all that, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, David understood that if he was really going to understand this new relationship, this restored relationship with God, it wasn't just for him alone. That God wanted to do some things in his life, and please do that for me, and then I will sing my praise. The response of a broken and restored heart is a person who sings praise to God and tells others about his greatness. It's interesting that he would say this, these verses that are still on the screen. You don't delight in sacrifice, but God told them to sacrifice. As a matter of fact, David asked God if it would be okay to build him a big temple. Forget about the tents, I want to build the temple. And Solomon's actually the one who built, Solomon, his son, actually becomes the one who builds the temple, and this majestic temple for God. And David himself says, you don't delight in sacrifice. 
It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about the burnt offering. Those are the symbols of what is really happening. But what really, God, you delight in is a broken heart who seeks after you. See, God doesn't want all the stuff. What he wants is us. He wants us completely. So what are the things that we learn about God through David's Psalm 51? First of all, God's loving and merciful. We find that in, in verse 1. I have, have mercy, O God, according to your unfailing love. God's loving and merciful. That no matter what we've done, he loves us. and He wants us as a, as a relationship with him. God's compassionate. David goes on. Uh, in your great compassion, by your great compassion, according to your great compassion. He talks about this compassion of God. Wipe out my sin because you have had compassion on me. You have been moved in your heart to change my life. God is compassionate. But he recognizes that he can't do it. God alone can do it. God alone can cleanse. He talks about this sin in his life and, and the things that God that, that he has done, and in verse 2, he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And he goes later verses and begins to continue to talk about that, that this act of cleansing, this act of forgiveness, this act of making us whole again is God's job. It's not something I can do on my own. God alone can cleanse. But David understands that God also is a judge. And he, he says, you know, God... You are a righteous judge, that, that you are the one who determined what right and wrong is. You are the one that gave us your word. You're the one that determined in the Bible, this is the way you follow me. This is, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is evil. This is sin. This is obedience. And God, only you can judge. And so he allows him, he calls him out to be the righteous judge. And then he says, uh, but you are right in judging me. The scales have tipped towards sin in my life, and God, you are right in judging me. I think sometimes we forget that God eventually will judge the entire world. But he also understands that God desires moral integrity. In verse 6, he says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. That there's something that God wants in our lives is this moral integrity that we are who we say we are when no one's looking. That there's no difference between how we act around people and how we act when we're alone with God or alone with ourselves. That, that there's something here that, that God says, David understands that, God, you are a God of moral integrity, so change me in my inner parts the part that no one else knows about, those thoughts I have, those things that I, that I do, those things that nobody else knows about, that's where I want you to work on me the most. And I imagine in the back of his mind, he's saying, God, when I looked at Bathsheba, help me never to do that again. Help me to look away. Nobody was around. I took a second look and look where it led me. In my inner being, change me completely. He also understood that God is pure. On the video, it shows uh, that, that we showed, it always talks about 
that sin cannot in, and, and God cannot coexist, that sin cannot enter into God's presence. That is founded in Scripture. And, and, and there's this understanding of this purity, that God defines purity, that God is pure, that in his very character and his very nature, he is pure, and only he can clean. Create in me a pure heart, O God. It's interesting that David asked for a pure heart. And I think in his asking, he understands that only God can give purity. That only God can truly clean because God is the only one who is totally pure. And he comes into our hearts and lives and, and begins his work of purifying through the Holy Spirit. And he begins to change us. And David understood that God at his very being is pure and he expects his people to live lives of purity. He also understood that God is our source of new life in verses 12 to 14. Um, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Teach me, do all this, then I will teach transgressors your way. Save me from my blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me and my tongue will ever sing of your righteousness. This idea that God is the source of new life, that when God comes in in his purity and changes our hearts and lives and cleanses us, there is something new and different in our lives. But he's also our source of worship. I was uh, consulting with a, a church staff, about eight pastors in the room, and we were talking about this idea of worship and, and how does worship fit into the life of a person uh, who's, who's maturing as a disciple of Christ. And, and we talked about the fact, there was a little bit of dialogue about the fact that, that, well, many times people come to a worship service before they actually have a faith in God. They come, they check it out, they see what's going on, and during the course of events, God leads them into a relationship with himself. They, they accept him, and then they truly worship. And, and we were talking about what role worship plays in the life of, of the believer. And I said, well, I said, we can see worship. We can see others worshiping. But we truly cannot worship until we have a relationship with God. And we dialogued about that for a little bit and realized that, yes, true worship is God in our lives and us expressing back to him that love and that praise and that adoration. That is what worship is. We can see it, and I could tell you story after story, like Matt, who went to the Million, million Man March, I forget what it was called, with Promise Keepers years ago, down on the mall in Washington, D.C. Matt, who was a Jewish person by faith, sitting there amongst a million men. He had been coming to our church just for a short time, and, and they started the, the meeting with Messianic Jews blowing the shafar, the ram's horn. Matt jumps to his feet. His back was to the screen. Matt jumps to his feet in the air, does a 180, boom, hits the ground, and is connecting the entire day. This was a Saturday. And, and we were there, and, and he, was, he was seeing a million men worshiping God. A God that he didn't believe in because of his Jewish faith said Jesus was not the Messiah. But yet here were Jews leading in worship of the, the God of the Israelites. The next day in church on Sunday, I gave an invitation to accept Christ. Matt raises his hand. His wife calls me that afternoon and says, Amy says, Pastor Ray, you need, to, you need to pray for Matt. He is close to accepting Christ. I said, no. I said, you just need to talk to your husband. She said, no, Pastor Ray, I really need, really need you to need you to, need you to pray to pray. I said, no, Amy, listen to me. 
go talk to your husband about this weekend. And after about five times of repeating that, she got the fact that I was not going to pray for her husband. Because she was asking me to pray for something God had already done, and she just didn't know. They called me back later, and this was Matt's reasoning for becoming a Christian. I realized, in the midst of a million men worshiping God, and what I experienced there, that Jesus had to be the Messiah. He wasn't worshiping God, but he was overwhelmed by the worship of God's people. And I go back to that verse where it says, they will know we're Christians by our love. Our love will be the ones that, that's the song that comes out of that verse, but the, the verse that talks about when our love for each other will tell the world that our love for God is real. And this idea of discipleship, and, this, and in Matt's life it changed. God is the source of worship. He, he in a relationship with a million men that day, surrounded a non-believer, and in so doing, in the midst of that worship, those men expressed their love back to God for what he had done in their lives, and Matt's life was changed. See, I believe worship is important. I believe we need to be here worshiping. But as we express our love for God, people around us that don't know what's going on, they don't quite understand that, begin to be influenced by that to make a difference and choice for God. David understood God's the source of worship. Now, yes, at one point in David's life, he did go dancing through the street naked. I don't re recommend that type of worship. But, uh, but David was someone who, as he wrote many of the Psalms, he's someone that really understood how to worship God. But he understood also that God desires a humble heart. Verses 16 and 17, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You know, you tell me what to bring, God, I'll bring it. I, I, I want that relationship with you. You don't take pleasure in the burnt offerings. The, the things that you've told us to do aren't really the thing. It, it's, it's a symbol of the thing. The thing is that God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Why should I give myself to God? Because David understood that when we come to a place of brokenness in our lives and we allow God to change us, the proper response is living in his presence every day in worship and praise and spending time with that type of a God. So if I did this, if I, if I really gave myself to God completely, if I really did that, what would I experience? What would I experience from God? If I, if I went back to that place where I, I, I knew I had a relationship with him in the past that, and I want that closeness, that intimacy again, what would, that, what would I experience if I gave my life to God completely like we're talking about? You would experience, first of all, a holy God. David experienced the God that would not tolerate sin and disobedience. So, yes, there is this aspect of judgment. There is this aspect of holiness in God that sin cannot be in his presence. And so he cannot allow it there. But not only is God holy and righteous and not allowing sin in his presence, he is also a forgiving God that forgives when we repent. And it's interesting that that same David also was known as the prophet who foretold about one coming from his line who would be the Messiah, Jesus, who would die on the cross. David experienced a God that worked through humanity and through time 
and through love and forgiveness, that when we repent, God forgives. And then David experienced a healing God, a God that brought healing and a renewed relationship, a God that took the, the adultery, the, the sin, the manipulation, the lying, the murder, all of the things of his past, and God took that broken heart and he restored it and brought healing and wholeness back to David's life. Perhaps the one unanswered question today is, how do I give myself to God completely? Well, the good news is that the holy, forgiving, and healing God that David served is the same God who's right here now wanting you and I to experience him in the same way that David did thousands of years ago. He wants you to respond as he reaches out to you. All you need today is, is pick up that little white flag of your heart and say to God, I'm giving my life to you completely. I will surrender everything. Now, I know I'm talking to mostly believers here this morning. But I wonder, I, I wonder if there's some of us that have said, I, I believe in God, I've, I've got this relationship with him, I've been growing, but I haven't given him everything. And so there are times I just don't experience his presence like I should. There are times that I'm not, by my choices, not living daily in his presence. And I want today to be the day that something different starts in my life. I want today to be the day where I live completely in God's presence and give myself completely to him. So the question I have for you is, will you surrender every area of your life today? You see, David didn't just ask God to forgive him of murder or maybe lying. He said, God, everything I've done, all the things that I've done are wrong and evil in your eyes. He gave him everything completely. So what do we do with this? We have a God who wants us to live in his presence daily. We talked about that with Moses. A God that wants to walk with us through life. We have a God, as we look at David, who, who wants us to give ourselves completely to him. How do we respond to that? In a moment, I'm going to play a video on the screen. It's about three minutes. And the way I'd like you to respond is if you are willing to say to God, from this point forward, no looking back, I am 100% yours completely. I'm going to ask if you would perhaps turn and kneel at your, at your chairs and whatever it is that you've been holding back from God, just simply say to him, it's yours right now. Just make that choice to live completely for him and give him every area of your life. And as this video plays, I'm going to be the opportunity. It's only three minutes, as I said, and when it's done, it's done. We're not going to continue longer. But I wonder if there's a, many here today, and my experience has been there probably are many here today that need to say to God one more time, from this point forward, I'm completely yours. I've picked up some things along the way that I've taken back. I'm giving them back today. They're yours. I am completely yours. My white flag of surrender is going up. If that's you, I'd invite you just to kneel where you are as the video plays. We've talked about giving ourselves to you completely. Father, would you help us to experience what that means each and every day? Would you show us that the choices that we do make today really do influence our successes tomorrow. 
that the decisions that we make to, with what we're going to do with our relationship with you will determine how we live our lives the rest of our lives. So, Father, today, for those that have said, I choose to completely give my life to you, would you help them as they begin to live that out? Would you show them your mercy, your love, your justice, your peace, your presence in a way that they've never experienced before? And so, Father, as we continue this journey to Pentecost, I, I think about the, the disciples that were gathered in that upper room for praying and seeking after you and, and not knowing what to do. They were broken, just like King David was at a point in his life. They were broken, and they were seeking after God like never before. And, Father, on the day of Pentecost, you came, and, boy, did you answer prayer. Wow. We're excited to, to get to that point in our journey, but, Father, there's a couple more steps that we need to take. There's a couple more things that we need to look at because if we're really going to serve you completely, if we're really going to live in your presence daily, there's some things you need to do in our hearts and lives. So what we're saying today, Father, is we're completely yours. Have your will and your way. Do what you would want to do in our lives from this day forward. And may we seek to serve you and follow you in obedience every moment of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.